One ball, one strike. In the air, center field. Correa's watching. This is back, and it's gone! It's a walk-off home run! Carlos Correa! Astros win! Hi, this is Emily Nyman, and you're listening to Breaking Balls. Now, America's most incredible network gives you another side of the story as we go into the world of the haters. America Undercover presents the Player Haters Ball. Welcome to episode 29 of Breaking Balls. I'm your host, Emily Nyman. I am, of course, joined by my co-host, John Snyder. You can find us on Twitter at BreakBallsPod. Or if you're feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call, 631-820-7377. Well, you just heard that opening. We're not even going to wait until the, the end of the show, as we usually do to introduce that opening, because it happened moments before we started recording. John and I were sitting. We were waiting for DJ Binchington to get the recording space ready. We're watching the end of the Astros-Rays game, and... Everyone's favorite Astro, Carlos Correa, just absolutely tanked a ball to, I think that was dead center, off Nick Anderson, the bottom of the ninth inning, in a tie game, walked it off, and it was one of those moments where it's like such a such a great postseason moment, but because it's the Astros, you're just like, God, I fucking hate this so much. Well, not alone just the Astros, Correa specifically is one of the players on the Astros that you don't want to see do that. Um, yeah, I mean, and you say, you know, we were, we were you know, doing our prep, by which I mean, like, waiting for Tampa Bay to shut this thing down. And they just did not do it yet again. So now we're going on to game six. And uh, you know what's funny is, like we mentioned last time, how especially now during this truncated playoffs, it's so noticeable how much stuff happens in between our production meetings and when we actually record. Because when we were talking earlier in this week, it was all about, ah, you know, the Rays are up 3-0. It's just a matter of time. Not so fast. Houston has some other plans here, it looks like. And our production meeting was also right on the heels of the Yankees being eliminated. So I was still sort of feeling like a little upset about that. Not upset. That's not really not the word, but just sort of reflective on that. I, I wasn't really into the ALCS and NLCS like I am now because I was still thinking about it. But now I've entered full fucking hater mode where in the beginning of the series, I was just like, oh, this is nice to watch baseball. I wish the Yankees were playing. Now I'm like, fuck this guy. Oh, I hate this guy. Oh, I hope this guy strikes out. I'm just being such a troll online at this point where whoever is losing or whoever is on the shit end of the stick in any circumstance, in any game, that's the person and the fan base that I'm going to go after. It does. It's an equal opportunist shit talking. Right. Well, yeah, you need some time for that mental shift. We keep going back to that talk you had with Cashman where he said, hey, if we win, it matters. If we don't, it doesn't. So now you've accepted that you didn't win it, so none of this matters, so you might as well make fun of it because there's tons of material to mine. Yeah, I totally agree. And this Rays and Astros series has really been, it's been pretty crazy. I mean, it's, it's almost reminiscent of the Yankees and Rays series where obviously the series is longer games. It's best of seven, not five. And who won in the beginning is flip-flop. The Rays took the first two, now the Astros are coming back. Because it's the Astros, I am sort of inclined to be like, they're going to end up winning this series just because they're the Astros and no one wants them to win the series except for their own fans. So that's when, you know, things are going to go down. But I don't really count the Rays out this quickly. I mean, the Yankees got on them too. So it's not like, oh, 
the the Rays have been unstoppable until now. It's like, yeah, technically they have been in that they've advanced past series and past teams, but forget about the Blue Jays. That series was a joke. But the Yankees, you know, it came down to the last to one swing in the eighth inning. So I wouldn't be surprised if this series ends up being similar to that, which leads me to believe are the Rays going to get bit by the ghost, <laughs> bit by the ghost. Is that even a saying or did I just make that up? They're going to get bit by the ghost of Yankee game of Yankee teams past the 2004 Yankees team that lost four straight in the ALCS to the Red Sox. I almost hope that the Rays lose this one in that same manner so that maybe people will stop fucking talking about the 2004 collapse and now that we can have the 2020 collapse. Can I just briefly say you mixing up those metaphors brought me back to you ever see Boondock Saints? Yes. With the old Irish bartender. He's like, why don't you make like a tree and get the fuck out of here? Why don't you make like a tree and get the fuck out of here? Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to coin that now. Bit by the ghost. Ghost by bite the ghost. now. It's our next t-shirt, man, or sticker or something. Bit um, by the ghost. And you're too- <laughs> you give ghosts a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> But if you look, one of the points we were going to make, and I guess it's a little, well, I wouldn't say it's totally diminished now, was we were going to talk about how good the Rays pitching has been, right? But that's still sort of there because you look, you know, for example, yesterday we had that blowout in the NLCS where the Dodgers, uh, what was it, 11 runs in the first half inning, but we'll get to that. But point being, the, the Rays pitching has not collapsed to that extent, even close. You know, all these games that the Astros are winning, they're pretty close. Uh, 4-3 today. Uh, yesterday was also 4-3, actually. I was I was like, wait, am I thinking about that right? Yeah, they were both 4-3. So close games. And yeah, you're 100% right. The Rays are very much in it. The Astros won the last two games, but not in such a fashion where it's like, oh God, the Rays are in trouble. Little momentum shift. Yeah, you can have that conversation, but the Rays are still the Rays. They're still scoring some runs. They're still pitching pretty well. And I think that the Astros pitching really needs to be commended because that's their Achilles heel in the series that if they had their staff and obviously they didn't, they let Cole walk. So it wouldn't have been the same situation that they had in 2019. But if they had Verlander, if they had uh, a bunch of these other guys that usually start from them that are now hurt, this playoff series would probably be a little different because I feel like the Rays lineup and that's the wrong terminology. I don't feel this way. It is the way that it is. The Rays lineup is nothing compared to basically all the other three teams in this series. All the other three teams, their lineups are absolutely stacked. The Rays are not, but it's because their pitching is so dominant that they can get away with, hey, if this lineup can just push two, three, four runs across the plate, they can win a game because their bullpen can lock it down. But now that the pitching staff is giving up in their bullpen, I mean, Nick Anderson, I cannot believe he grooved that pitch to Correa. Like, it was a three-pitch at bat, I think. The pitch right before it, He pulled the string on him. It was either a uh, it was a breaking ball of some kind, and he was way way early on it. Clearly sitting fastball. So then Nick Anderson throws a fastball the next pitch that was at the letters right over the plate. Like it was the worst pitch I've seen a Rays pitcher throw probably since Stanton's fucking grand slam that he hit off them in like the first or second game. Well, you know what? Like, and I've said that like I'm rooting for the Rays here, and I was okay because I like Grinky. Grinky's the one redeeming Astro, right? So. Him winning game, uh, what was it, game four, right? He stepped up for them and finally won that one. Yeah, last night. I was cool with that. Me tonight, too. Tonight, they were supposed to put it away, though. The Rays, that is, were supposed to end this. Uh, so I don't know what they're doing, quite frankly. I'm kidding. Obviously, it was a very close game, and they're trying to win. But um, I'm uh, I'm hoping. Fingers crossed. I've always liked Granky, so 
I'm happy to see him succeed no matter what, as long as it's not against the Yankees. So yesterday I was pulling for him. I, I simultaneously, which is something that you're, you guys are learning on breaking balls, especially the postseason, that I simultaneously want two things to happen in the same game that just cannot <laughs> exist together. So I wanted the Astros to lose, but I also wanted Grinky to play well, especially because he had made some comments the other day. You know, he was asked a question by a reporter because Grinky has a um, long history. He struggles with mental health. He has severe, severe depression and anxiety. It almost caused him to quit the game uh, over a decade ago. And he's battled through and, and had a Hall of Fame career and been one of the highest paid players in Major League Baseball history. And it's always been a bone of contention for some weird reason because people are unsympathetic and have no compassion. But he's been pretty open about it, and he doesn't have to be. And I think that's really good, and I think that because there are fans that deal with depression and anxiety too, so it lets them know that, hey, even players and people at this level that you think are are these untouchable, these, these gods of sorts, especially to a, a young kid, they deal with the same things that we all deal with. But I digress. So he, so he was asked if he liked the season with no fans. This is obviously a reporter knowing what his response is going to be. And he, of course, says, hey, I, I like this. You know, the pregame stresses me out, the autographs and the photo ops. And he wasn't saying that he dislikes fans. He was just saying what we all expected him to. He likes the solitude. He, he has social anxiety. But, of course, people flipped out. Oh, you know, you you need to be grateful. You Maybe you're in the wrong profession. Someone literally said that. They were like, maybe he should have done something else. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He should have gotten another job, even though he's literally reached the pinnacle of this elite profession like the best part about last night because of that was all these nerds are crying online about it and what does he do he goes out and he absolutely wins the game for his team I mean he got into some trouble there in the sixth the bases were loaded they had less than two outs Dusty Baker stuck with him he wanted to, he was gonna take him out but he didn't and Granky got out of that jam and it's like all you nerds are fucking crying at home on your keyboard about how Granky needs to toughen up and he's doing that out on a baseball field and you guys are hiding behind a keyboard. So yeah, it's because, tough. it's because they want robots to play the game. They don't want human beings to play the game, you know? And it's like, Grinky is an employee at the end of the day. Aren't there things about your job that you don't like? There's things about my job I don't like. Are you not allowed to express that as a human being, as an American, as a, <laughs> hang on, let me calm down here. Uh, <laughs> no, but seriously, I, I love Grinky and I love, he's just, unapologetically weird is not something you find often in baseball. And Grinky is that. And I think especially now that we have like older Grinky where he's just like, fuck it, man, I'm me. Like, you know, he's kind of owned it. Um, and to make a little light of that, I wonder, do you think that he likes pitching in the playoffs less this year because they're actually allowing fans into, uh, into Arlington? Like he did a whole season with just cardboard cutouts and he kicked ass. And don't get me wrong, he's still pitching well, but you think like he walked out the first game and was like, oh, God damn it, they're back. Well, no, he's actually lucked out because they only have fans in Arlington. They're not having fans in San Diego where the Rays and Did I mix the, up the stadium? I mixed up the stadiums. I, I, I wasn't sure, honestly, either, because now that there are real fans at the NLCS, the fake crowd noise in, in San Diego sounds real all of a sudden because I'm now hearing real fans. So I asked... Last night, I was like, are there fans in San Diego? Because now I'm not sure. And it turns out they're not, probably because of state laws. Like, you, or you know what throws me off is like, they still have the cutouts behind home plate, no matter where they're playing. So it's only in the zoom out shots that I reorient myself. Like, wait, which game am I watching? Oh, right, there's people here. Okay, I forget they can do that. The other night, I forgot that there was going to be real fans there. So I'm thinking that it's a crowd noise. And all of a sudden, they start. I start hearing a, because it was a home game for the Dodgers, that's it. 
because I started hearing the oh, 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 oh and oh, I was yeah, thinking, yeah. okay, first of all, isn't this a Do- Dodgers home game? Why are they playing like piped in tomahawk music? And also, yeah. I thought that they like got rid of that. And then I was like, oh, there's fans there. And I literally got like a little misty eyed. I was like, oh my god, like fan- real fans are chasing after balls and stuff. It was it was nice to see. I mean, let's not even go down that road of how the Braves are still allowed to use that, but the Indians aren't. I don't know. One's better than the other, apparently. And speaking of the Rays, that motherfucker named Randy is still just going off. You know, and I I really have to take one on the chin because during the Yankees-Rays series, the announcer, I think it was Brian Anderson, he kept on talking about how Kevin Cash refers to a Rosarena as the Cuban Mookie Betts. And when he first said that, because... Besides, you know, playing them, you know, a few times in the series, this is his first year. He's a rookie. And I'm pretty sure he hasn't even had enough time that he's still going to be eligible for rookie of the year in, in 2021. I think I saw that someone say that. So I didn't know much about him. I thought that that comparison was a little premature. So, of course, I scoffed at it and like made fun of it. And then, of course, he absolutely went off against the Yankees. That's and now he's continuing. Risk. <laughs> yeah. So. There is maybe some validity to this. I mean, obviously, it's going to take a few years to be Mookie Betts status, but he's really doing it all. With the he's hitting bombs and he threw someone out. I think he threw Altuve out at, uh, trying to stretch a double earlier in, in today's game, and he's just on both sides of the ball and unstoppable right now. He's the most fun that I'm having watching the playoffs. Is watching Arena go off on the regular. And I love that the announcers—they've been you know talking about how he eats rice and he ate chicken and rice like every day and. They've now started like this, you know how like older people will will tell a a coming of age tale and it'll always like get a little bit more exaggerated. Like I had to walk 10 miles and the next time you hear it, they're like, I had to walk 50 miles. Like just adds on. They've been doing snow both ways. Exactly. So with a Rosarena, they keep on talking about how he does 300 push-ups a day, but then the next day they were like, he does 500 push-ups a day. And it's like, by the end of the series, they're gonna be like, he does 1500 push-ups every morning. Like Gaston, a kingpin like Gaston. No one's got a swell cleft in his chin like Gaston. As a specimen, yes, I'm intimidating. I want a guy like Gaston. <laughs> no one's built like Gaston. Da, 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 like Gaston. <laughs> now let's uh, a scoot over to the National League, the NLCS. Similar start. I mean, the Braves really came out of the gate. I was not expecting the Braves to do much against the Dodgers. I thought the Dodgers were going to just not maybe not even lose a game on their way to the World Series. Oh, well, I, I didn't think that. I know the Braves are good. I figured it would be like maybe they would take one or two. Taking the first two out of the gate, I was not expecting. In my head, I'm like, the Dodgers are going to at least split the first two, bare minimum. Going into it, we all thought Kershaw was pitching game two, but then he wound up not going till what, game four? Yeah, he's pitching as we speak. Right, so that could have played into that as well. You know, they, they had Bueller, obviously, is going to lead off. But uh, I don't remember offhand who pitched, uh, who started the second game. But maybe that's the answer right there. I don't know. And that's why they lost. But it was crazy. I mean, and Dodgers fans, of course, were so salty at first because they are just a frustrated fan base. They've been so good for so long, but they haven't actually done anything with it besides win a few division titles or whatever. So I think it was game one. They lost 5-1. And they, I think they were winning or something late into the game. And then in like the eighth or ninth inning is when the Braves That was scored. that ninth inning with the couple home runs and the big comeback. Yeah. Oh, my God. Austin Riley hit that ball that almost went through the fucking wall yeah. of <laughs> globe life. I hated it. 
And so did the Dodgers fans. They were like, oh, well, it took them eight innings to get going. And it's like, all right, well, now in hindsight, it took your team fucking 18 innings to get going. You lost two games in a row. Although once they got going, they definitely carried it over into the next day. I mean, we want to we want to talk about that shit. My craziest takeaway from yesterday, the Wait, Braves. Tell, what happened yesterday? So yesterday, and I enjoyed the shit out of this. The Dodgers scored 11 runs in the top of the first inning, which is a record. No team has scored that many runs in half an inning of a playoff game ever. And uh, it happened against the Braves. And it was, it was great to see. My biggest takeaway from last night, the Braves didn't send in a position player to pitch. What are you doing? It's the playoffs. You need your bullpen. You, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't like the Braves. So this kind of mismanagement, I'm here for it. But... If I was a Braves fan, I would think, what the hell are you doing? Usually, and that's like the proverbial white flag, right? From a team when it's like, all right, we're not going to forfeit. Even we're just going to play this out with a pitcher, with a position player on the mound. Last night, I took the replacement of Pablo Sandoval at first for Freddie Freeman as the Braves proverbial white flag. They like go out for defense. And I was like, wait, I don't remember Freeman being that short and that fat. And I was like, holy (laughs) shit, it's Pablo Sandoval. What is he doing in this game right now? And where did Freeman go? And I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I get I get from like a pride perspective, you know, we, we don't want to give up. We got a two game lead like, you know, we're going to fight through this by the eighth or ninth inning. You're losing by 14 runs. Like, where does the cost benefit analysis start coming in for me? Like an inning before that. But I then again, I don't manage the Braves, so I don't know. And I also don't manage the Braves, but I'm going to now pretend like as I know what's good and what and what they should have done. But I feel Please like these do. <laughs> I mean, that's basically why I started this podcast in the first place. I'm like, I think I know better than a lot of these people. So let me just put it into a microphone. Wasn't that the original reject the title? I know better than all these people with Emily (laughs) Nyman. Yeah, it did not flow with the Missy Elliott beat quite as nicely. (laughs) But I feel like, and I could be way off here. I feel like that could be a little bit of, he didn't want to do the position player because there is a level of like, this is the playoffs. So you have people in the stands here. You have a lot of Braves fans that went to Texas, bought tickets that I'm sure were exorbitant in price because it's only like 10,000 of them. And you're going to put a position player in, in an NLCS game. Like I, I totally understand it from a strategy perspective. And I would imagine that came first. So you have to assume that he made the moves that he did because it wasn't going to hurt them. But there is a level of like, yo, you're going to fucking put the shortstop in to pitch during this game right now, the game, game three of the NLCS. Right, but again, is there not a line? Like after a certain point, like if you're actually in this to go all the way, you got to save your guys at some point, right? I mean, I don't know. I look at these late innings and I guess from a pride perspective, no, not even a pride perspective, from a pressure perspective, let's put it this way. All the pressure is on the Dodgers in this series right now, right? Like as we talked about in earlier episodes, it's World Series championship or this season is a failure for them, right? So I can understand from the Braves perspective the Dodgers took a giant shit on you in the first inning and never wanting to, even in light of that, stop applying pressure as in you're still, you still got to pit, you know, you still got to face our pitchers. You still got to play us tomorrow, you know, yada, yada, yada. So I guess I get it from that. And hey, man, he's the manager. You know, if he has the guys and they're fresh enough to do it, I guess far be it for me to criticize. But <laughs> normally I would say I hope that doesn't come back and bite you, but it's the Braves. So I kind of don't care. Something else that happened in last night's game in that blowout that's always hilarious to me. And it's something that that usually happens in like football, 
where a team will be losing by a lot, but then one of the players will score a touchdown on the losing team and like have an end zone celebration. Oh, yeah, and yeah. it's like, what the fuck are you doing? So last night, I'm not even sure what inning it was, but they, the Braves were losing 12 nothing. Camargo gets up and he absolutely tanks a foul ball. He pimped a foul ball. <laughs> Like hardcore pimped it. He wasn't like flipping his bat, but it was like he thought this ball was gone right. and just totally sliced fat. Like it's not even like it was a close. Then he fucking struck out like two pitches later. And it was like, dude, I would understand pimping that ball if it were a close game and this was going to, you know, either tie the score or put your head, whatever. It would have brought the score from 12 nothing to 12 1. Like, dude, what are you doing? It was, I felt, and it's a in the moment thing. It's not like he's thinking about it. So, you can't get on him too much. He's, he's, I think he's pretty young. So it's like, eh, whatever. He's excited. Oh, yeah. His reaction had to have been, yeah, that's a home run. Now, like, I think it is. So I'm going to make an ass out of myself. You know, it's worth the, let's, let's roll the dice on this. See how I look. And I get that the line is arbitrary, where obviously let the kids play. I'm all about celebrations. If he had actually hit that ball and it was fair and he celebrated, I would have been like, huh, that's kind of fucking whack. But hey, go get him, kid. But because it went foul and then he struck out, ugh, bad luck. Isn't the full phrase, let the kids play, but also appropriately contextualize different parts of the game and respond appropriately when they do something? Yes, except that couldn't fit on a t-shirt. So they were like, just cut out the last portion of that sentence and keep it to let the kids play. Nah, I get it. I'm not a marketing guy. But to be fair, Muncy did the same thing in one of the games too. He like hit a two, except his was an actual home run. He hit a two run home run. I think it was in the ninth inning. And it brought the score from like 8-4 or something to 8-6. It didn't even like tie the score. And it was like, Muncie, what are you doing? But he then made up for it. Yeah, I mean, Melanson handled that clown question from the reporter pretty well. Where he was like, well, you know, when you, uh, so you basically blew the game. And Melanson's kind of like, uh, fuck you. No, I didn't. I, I just got the save or whatever. Well, he, and, at first he was like, I don't even know what you're trying to say. Well, that's what yeah, it was great. He's like, I don't understand the question. And then he clarified. He's like, okay, I think that's a terrible question and I'm not going to answer it. It was like Lucille Bluth. I don't understand the question. And so I refuse to answer. I don't understand the question and I won't respond to it. But to be fair, he did a little pimping of his own. He's lucky that he got out of that game, not only because they got the W, but he was fucking celebrating in the bullpen and catching home run balls from his own team running around. And I, and I get it. That's awesome. But for then him to come into the ninth inning and almost blow the game where they had a pretty big lead, not on the Dodgers, but still, it was a sizable lead. Yeah. It's like, dude, he was probably thinking to himself, I cannot believe I fucking pimped those home run balls in the bullpen. <laughs> what a dick I am. I'm about to blow this game. I, I mean, you could even kind of see like after it was one of those things like he caught the home run ball, he's celebrating and stuff. And like a minute later, you know, like the cameraman, they'll keep the camera on them to see if they do anything else. And he sits right back down and he's kind of like pensive. Like he's kind of like, oh shit, I, can't, I probably got to like get my head straight. I might get into this game. Like I can't be fucking doing this. But right now they're playing as we speak. I think the score was tied. Uh, when we were going into recording, it was 1-1. Osuna had just hit a, a tying home run. Solo uh, shot. It's not 1-1 anymore. Get a load of this. The Braves are up 7-1. to one. In the bottom Come of the on. sixth. I swear to God. Kershaw? Uh, yeah, Kershaw. I'm, I, I, don't have the t I don't have the TV on. I'm going off of the app right now, but just super quick. The playoff struggles continue. I know. This is fucking nuts. Hang on. Uh, so Max is going to kill me for that one because he hasn't really struggled as much as people lead on, but this is pretty brutal. He's never going to live this down. 
Oh my God, yeah. Freeman doubled, Ozuna doubled, Swanson doubled, Riley singled, I don't know how to pronounce it, Christian Pache uh, single. Yeah, just merry-go-round was going around and they put up, looks like, six runs in the bottom of the sixth. So far, I should say, that's not over yet. They got first and second with two out. Dodgers fans are going to be like, how dare they disrespect the game by winning against Kershaw? Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. <laughs> we have a few voicemails this week, as always, so we are going to get right into them. Our first voicemail this week is from Bubak. Hey, what up? It's Bubak. Listen, Em, you said you hit it on the nose. Great pitching beats great hitting. However, uh, when you average eight hits per game and you only hit three fuck, you hit three fucking hits, uh, you can't win games on three fucking hits. Sorry. Tampa Bay, they had three hits too, but, you know, you know what I mean. And then uh, the Astros last night, game one, they did get beat. That's good. Really, I, I'd rather have neither team win. I'm with you on that and just whatever. But, uh... I think it's clear to me that, uh, I mean, who's to say that Houston's not still cheating? They get caught, and then the players don't get punished. So what's to stop them from just cleaning up their cheating act, making it don't put a fucking wire anywhere, don't put a buzzer, if it is a buzzer, whatever, don't put it anywhere above the waist. They got it in their shoe now. They got it on their fucking ball. I don't know. Just my two cents. I fucking hate the Astros, man. Correa, Bregman. Even if they're if you're fucking brand new on the team this year, I still fucking hate you because you play for the fucking Astros. I don't know. I, I guess I'm rooting for the Dodgers this year. Love the show, guys. Keep it up. Peace. There's a lot to unpack there. That was that was a, a loaded voicemail, Bubak. First of all, I think that. And obviously you understand the concept and so do a lot of people that good pitching beats good hitting every time. And that is pretty much steadfast. There are very, very, very few examples where that doesn't, that's not the case. So with that being said, I don't think that you can really, however, that statement that if you, if you believe that good pitching beats good hitting, which it does, and it was proved last week when the Yankees played the Rays, you can't then say Oh, the offense. Oh, that you know they did, you can't win games on three hits. You know they only had you know when you used to average eight hits. You have to understand that. Well, the pitching was that good that it shut down that lineup. That that lineup, the Yankees lineup, is is one of the greatest lineups that's ever been assembled. But good pitching beats good hitting. So against elite pitching, which that's what gets you to the postseason. Every single team that gets to the tournament has the best pitching usually in the league because that's how they've been able to win that much. So once you get to this level, yeah, the Yankees and all these other really, really potent offenses can steamroll teams, even if their pitchers give up five runs in the regular season. But then once they get to the postseason, that comes to an end because all it takes is a solid pitching staff to shut them down. And that's what we saw. And that's why this this past series, everyone getting crazy and we need to trade this one. We need to get Michael Brantley. We need all these ridiculous moves thinking that the Yankees were, you know, there was a, a contact hitter missing. That's what would have changed things. It wouldn't have. They just would have, if they had more contact hitters, then they would have lost that game fucking 2 nothing instead of 2-1. So. And I think it comes back to the conversation of, you know, you can't say, oh, you can't win a game on three hits. Well, what are the hits? You know, you look at, I, my mind immediately, like you said, went to game two. 
Rays won four to two on four hits, a three-run home run, and a solo home run. What other proof do you need that it works? It just worked in yeah. this postseason. And that was something I did like a I did a little breakdown. It was a rudimentary breakdown of just how the Yankees did over the course of that series in comparison to the Rays. The Yankees outhit and outscored the Rays. They outhit the Rays by uh, almost ten, I think, oh, ten to twelve hits. I don't have the the spreadsheet up right now, and they outscored them by four runs or three runs. But they still lost the series. Why? Because the Rays had more extra base hits than them. That was the f- offensive category that the Rays led in, and that's what made the difference in the series. I mean, at the in that game five, unfortunately, the Rays hit two home runs and the Yankees only hit one home run and that was literally the difference in the score. So people think that a contact hitter would have made the difference. No, it wouldn't have. The Yankees needed people to hit home runs because you have to maximize your at-bats when no one's getting on base. What? Someone gets a single? Oh, good for him. But then you need fucking two or three hits to bring him home to score. Yeah, isn't it crazy when advanced analytical thinking like is proven right in real time? And it's crazy. It's not even that. It's not even. And Bubak, we've we've kind of gone off on a tangent here. This isn't like a, at you, but it's crazy because it doesn't even take analytics to tell you that the home run is the best hit that you can get. So the more home runs that your team hits, and if you can't hit home runs, and the more extra base hits you get, the more you maximize your at bats, the more you win. It's a pretty fucking solid structure until you get to the playoffs and then you face buzzsaw pitching. And as far as the Astros, yeah, fuck them. I'm on that. I don't think they're still cheating. I think that would be crazy. It's a little w- too close. I was going to say, just for the record, uh, we here at Breaking Balls can neither confirm or deny uh, Bubak's reports of the Astros still cheating. Uh, if you have any evidence, we encourage you to come forward. Please call the Breaking Balls hotline if you're feeling brassy or uh, like a whistleblower. Thank you. Bubak, thanks for your call. And our next voicemail is from Danny B. Hi guys, it's Danny B from Manchester, UK. Uh, just a couple of points from me. Um, can I just say I'm really not enjoying this series between the Rays and the Astros. I, I can't stand either team. It's 3-1 Tampa at the time of this message. Uh, I did tip Tampa to go all the way in my bracket, but I, I really don't give a shit. I fucking hate Tampa. And I hate seeing Adama's smug face in the dugout anytime his team does something remotely interesting. So, so yeah, fuck the Rays and fuck the Astros. People are like, who would you rather see in the World Series? Like, <laughs> I think it's like trying to decide which one of your mates you'd rather sleep with your wife. Anyway, uh, my second point, I mentioned it on Twitter. It's about Domingo Herman. Uh, I just wondered what you guys thought now he's back on the Yankees roster. Um, I'm not sure I'd be comfortable seeing him in the Yankee uniform again. I mean, I, I rate him as a pitcher. I'm just not sure I rate him as a human being. Uh, anyway, that's me. Cheers. Danny, that might have been one of the funniest things we've had in our voicemails to date, 29 <laughs> episodes, and that me, John, and DJ Bingerton laughed out loud when you said that comment about it's like picking which mate you want to sleep with your wife. That was fucking brilliant. But as far as Domingo Herman, I absolutely agree with you. Um, great pitcher, whatever, but he's a scumbag, and I think that he doesn't deserve... Uh, a chance to play in the premier league in the world and make the kind of money that he's going to make. But unfortunately, um, capitalism doesn't really care about that. You know, it's it, they pro sports. They've tried to um, combat. No, not really. They've, they, they've tried to pretend like they care about domestic violence, but 
all these guys come back. I mean, I don't see the Yankees uh, going the moral route with Herman because they have Chapman. So if they try to make it seem like it's some sort of morality thing, it's bullshit and PR on their part because it really will just boil down to is there a spot on this team for him anymore if there's not because he lost it now that he was out for a year. That's why he won't be on the team. But because they have Chapman, and obviously Chapman and Herman are not the same level as far as their impact on a ball club, Chapman being one of the greatest closers of all time, I just I don't see the Yankees saying that Herman can't play with them. So I think that we're going to end up seeing him in pinstripes, unfortunately. And can I just say, Danny, uh, I know I speak for Emily here when I say that we at Breaking Balls love that kind of brutal honesty. And we know that you've earned it. You know, you're watching these games at what, like three in the morning, your time. And also, I love that just you're going to win it, man. You said you picked the Rays to go all the way, but you don't actually want them to win in your heart of hearts because fuck them. I love that. And when all that comes across in that wonderful accent, it just sounds so very like sophisticated and confident. And like, it's like an extra level of like, well, fuck them. But it's like... It's like refined. Nicely. It's nicely. Yeah, it's refined. It's great. I love it. Like, I don't think my mom would care as much that I'm cursing on this show if I had a nice British accent to go along with it. It would sound so just regal almost. That is not going to happen. Danny, thank you so much for your call. And our next call is from Jerry. Yes, this is a big fan, Jerry Drabnicki. I'm a little late to the, to the party. I'd like to apologize. I was mourning the Yankees' loss and that of Whitey Ford. Unfortunately, I only saw Whitey at the end of his career, 64 to 67. But I did meet him three times. Uh, let me go in reverse order here. I have no prepared material. Uh, number three, at a card show. He was sick, carried his own Pepo Bismol. I had to drive him home. Uh, at LIJ, he was a heart patient. His nurse was my mother. And he loved the way she put on his hose. Oh, my God. You know, for better circulation. And a scheme. The number one answer here. My father and his brothers were mailmen. And somehow my Uncle Bruno got a hold of Whitey's address in Lake Success. And he piled us all into his old uh, station wagon. We drove to his house. What a plan. He needed a volunteer to uh, ring the doorbell. And we rolled down the windows and listened to my brother, my little brother, Brian, who couldn't even reach the bell. He had to jump up. He presses the bell. And uh, a woman answered. And he goes, my brother goes, Whitey there. <laughs> and yes, we all met Whitey Ford. He was playing ball with the sons in the backyard. What a great guy. Okay, until next time, goodbye. Jerry, thank you so much for those stories. That's awesome. Met him three times. And we, of course, the breaking balls and mourning the loss of uh, one of the greatest pitchers in Yankee history, chairman of the board, as he was known. He not only uh, put together a, a Hall of Fame career, but he also, I think he can be credited for keeping Mickey Mantle on the field and, and and helping keep him together during uh, the throes of alcoholism. So, Whitey, you'll be sorely missed and you'll always be a Yankee forever. Our next call is from Claire. Hi, this is Claire at Claire Namaste. I have a couple of things to say. First and foremost, longtime listener, first time caller. I absolutely love this 
show. I'm a sports fan and I love baseball, but this show really truly makes me want to watch the games and understand the stats and understand the players. And I appreciate it more than you know. I love when each episode comes out every week. I listen to it a few times. Em and John, you guys are doing a fantastic job. I love your banter. It's amazing. And the unsung hero, DJ Bingington, fantastic. And I love your nod to Broadway on many of the episodes. Keep up the great work. And now, I have a suggestion for your wager. My suggestion is that the loser buys the winner and her sister pizza and beer from their favorite pizza place. That's my suggestion for the wager. And also, the, clearly the winner should pick the loser's profile pic to be posted. Anyway, I love the show. It's amazing. You guys are great. And keep up the great work. Love it. Claire, thank you for your call. I'm sure everyone listening, that voice probably sounded a little familiar. It's because that is my sister, and that's why the wager that she suggested was the winner and her sister should get pizza. Her sister. Very specific wording there, Claire. I feel like Claire's just trying to get a meal out of me here. And John, for everyone listening, John is one of five kids, and he's the only boy. So if John wins, you're going to have to pick which sister I buy pizza for. Ooh, I'm seeing like a Hunger Games, like literally kind of situation approaching here. We set up another bracket for them. We're like, now the second bracket challenge, John's sisters. (laughs) I'm super into that because none of them are big baseball fans, so it would be chaos. Claire, thanks so much for calling. You're the best. And our next call is from Nick. Do you guys think we'll get a Tampa Bay Rays, Atlanta Braves World Series? Astros are still trying to stay off elimination tonight. God just got hot last night, but let's hope Braves can do better. And uh, what's your top three favorite baseball movies? And let's try to take off, you know, Sandlot, because I'm pretty sure that's a popular choice for most people. No, I don't think we'll see a raise. Braves World Series. I think that Rays are definite possibility on the American League side, but I really don't see the Braves winning the series. But hey, crazier things have been known to happen. They're about to be up three games to one, I think, after tonight. So you never know. As far as favorite baseball movies, we already did a top three, we think, of that. No, so we definitely I'm just, did. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to skip and say that I'm not that big of a Sandlot fan. I've gotten killed on Twitter for it. It's okay. It's not bad, but whatever. Major League is my favorite movie. And if anybody was waiting for an excuse to go back and check out the now somewhat extensive backlog of Breaking Balls episodes, I think we did that like episode nine-ish. So dive in. John, what was your number one though? Oh God. Uh, Or if it's changed since then, go for it. Did I go with Major League? I might've gone with Major League. Yeah, we're a united front here at Breaking Balls. I think so, yeah. And you know what? I, I'm on the spot now because now there's a chance that I pick something else. But offhand, I'm going to say probably Major League. Nick, thanks for your call as always. And our final call is from Bubak. Hey, what up, Bubak? My apologies for doubling up. I could, I can easily understand how annoying that would be. I guess that's my perspective. Anyway, as I was listening to uh, the most recent episode, um, I did leave a voicemail yesterday. However, John mentioned something about, I believe, I, you know, now I don't remember who it was now, 
uh, you were talking about some broadcasters who were talking about the team they broadcast for as our team and and uh, my team and and that that's not how it works. That you you can't be biased. I don't want to call bullshit on that. Just because if you listen to Michael K, Michael K is full on Yankees fan, man. I would say Tony and Paul are both full on Yankees fans. And I think if you go even farther, I think John and Susan, I mean, Al Susan, Susan is a freaking, she is just full on Yankees and a Tom Brady fan, which is odd to me, but that's a different, that's for a different time. You know, I don't know. Just something that I thought of this morning after listening to the episode yesterday. Uh, I was actually listening to the Michael K show this morning. I, it just, it just kind of, I don't know. I'm taking way too much of your time. Love you guys. Boobock out. One of my favorite things about Boobock is just that, like, that Midwestern, like, hey, I'm sorry to take up your time. Like, we love it, man. I love that passion. I love that fire. Um, yeah, so what, just anyone who's not sure what Boobock's referring to is we were talking about the Rays radio booth last week um, as part of my attempt to console Emily in the wake of what happened to the Yankees. Um, but no, yeah, so they're one of those booths where it's, you know, it's not the Rays did this, it's we did this, and, you know, we won, we lost. So I think there's a distinction to be made here, Boobock. You're totally right. Michael Kay, John Stone, those are Yankee fans. Same way that, like, in the Mets, Gary Cohen's a huge Yankees fan. Howie Rose, huge Yankees fan. Keith and Ron, all that. I think there's a difference, and it's funny, because the more that Emily and I talked about it, the more it's like, are we just, like, being, like, stodgy and nitpicky? Because maybe there is no good reason for it. But there's just some level of professionalism to, like, yeah, you can be a fan, but not necessarily being a homer at the same time. I think there's something to be said for that. And maybe in terms of non-fans being able to enjoy the broadcast without it coming off as like, you know, overkill or like, oh God, this is like so one-sided. It's It shows an appreciation for the game when, uh, when it's not all, you know, when you're losing, it's not all like, oh, fuck this, oh, everything sucks. It's like, well, point out what the other team's doing well, point out what you're doing poorly. You know, you could do all those things, but that's kind of a little antithetical to like the we, we, we. It's like, you gotta remove yourself, I think, or peel back a layer, you know what I'm saying? Uh, get a layer of objectivity, but you could still be a fan within that, I guess is what I'm getting at. We want to thank all of our callers. You guys are awesome. We love these voicemails. Boobock, you can call as many times as you want. You are not wasting or taking up our time. If anyone else listening wants to get in on the fun, give the Breaking Walls hotline a call. 631-820-7377. So I'm sure you've all noticed by now a theme this week. Now that I've shed the sadness of the Yankee loss is we're just in full hater mode. So going on with that theme, our top three this week is more like a bottom three of sorts in that it's the players we've loved to hate this postseason. Which players, especially we, we have removed the rounds of players that, of teams that have lost. So it's just the teams that are in the ALCS and NLCS. Which players on those teams do we love to hate? So John, get right into it. What's your number three? So we already talked about my number three, and it was Mark Melanson. And it's for the reasons that we talked about. He came so close to blowing that game, and I wanted him to, and then he didn't. And then he had that one-up on that reporter. It was a great response, and he's catching those balls in the bullpen and having a good time. And I don't like seeing that on the face of a brave. Uh, so yeah, Mark Melanson's my number three. Oh, you just think you're so good, huh, Melanson? Oh, uh, you think you're better than me. <laughs> my number three 
is our opener and the person I already opined about in the first few minutes of the show. I'm now going to close the show with it, Correa. He is just so good and I just fucking hate him. He acted like such a dick in the wake of the scandal and he just always gets the hit. He always makes a play and he's someone that I would in a heartbeat take on the Yankees, but now that he's on the Astros, well, not now, he has always been, but Watching him, I just, he's the kind of guy that I'm like, oh, that was a fucking bomb and that was an awesome pimp job, but God, I hate you. So for my number two, I almost didn't go with it because it's too easy, but then I realized like, no, I, I got to be honest with myself. If I'm not digging someone, I'm not digging it. Jose Altuve. And it's first and foremost, because for me at least, he is the face of the 2017 Astros. Maybe for other people, they associate someone else. It's Jose Altuve for me. So especially seeing him do well, he's mashing some home runs. And, you know, we, we talked last week, we had that little brief like, oh, maybe they can't hit without the garbage cans. Now, he's still good. He still cheated, but he's still good. And it's annoying to watch. And as if the TBS broadcast booth wasn't annoying enough during the Rays Yankees, during this series, they've been like trying to get the fans to feel bad about Altuve's yips. And every time they talk about it, because he's, he's been great at the plate, but in the field, he's made a bunch of errors, some that led to big innings for the Rays. They're, Ron Darley and Brian Anderson are like, oh, you know, you just really feel for a player. You know, you feel all alone out there. And it's like, I'm supposed to be a f- feel bad for him? Bitch, I don't. I don't Hell feel no. bad for him. Hell no. My number two is also an Astro, Josh Reddick. He is just such a tool bag. He is like the kind of guy that was hardcore flaunting like the World Series ring during uh, in the aftermath uh, of the the scandal. And it was just super cringe. It's like, bro, you like hurt your team's chances to win that 2017 World Series. So stop like waving it in everyone's face. And I get it, you're a champion, but whatever. And also his wife acts like a fucking tool on Twitter too. Like when he doesn't play well, I'm like, oh, Jet Reddick is going to be searching her husband's name and just going to town on people on Twitter tonight. Like get a life. <laughs> this whole segment really just feels like the sketch. The haters have arrived. It's the airing <laughs> of the grievances. Literally. <laughs> All right. Uh, so for my number one, this was an easy pick for me. Travis fucking Darno. I had a lot of years of frustration with Travis Darno, as you're well aware. And uh, it's one of those things where I, I think I said last week, as a human being, I'm happy for the guy. He's doing well. He's finally living up to his potential, all that stuff that was sold to us. But he's doing it for the Braves and he's killing it in the postseason. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Um, I don't even know what to say. It's just frustrating because like, you, he always had flashes of not brilliance, but he had flat, like really good flashes when he was with us, defensively and offensively. And it seems like he's finally put it together. He's in an organization where he's not only able to flourish, but is flourishing. And uh, yeah, it, it, it couldn't have happened to a worse team. So I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Good for you, Travis, I guess. Just ugh. the Mets are like, Darno's got a lot of potential. We're going to get him there when we then trade him to another team and he will then reach that potential. He will just be through the growing pains through the Mets. Yeah, the Mets are like, don't forget our role in all of this. My number one, G-Man Choi. Ever since that fucking smirk when they intentionally walked him, when Cole was on the mound and he just had this smirk on and just wanted to punch him. And And I'm not a violent person, but... That was the first time I left and I was like, wow, I could smack this dude in the face. And now, because they kept on showing him so much in the dugout, it was like the G-Man Choi hour during the Yankees games. So now I just, I can't stand him. And this is a weird situation because I just hate him. Well, you know, baseball hate him. I don't hate him as a person, but I just hate him. 
Exactly. <laughs> I hate him and I hate that he when he does well and he hits the home runs or whatever, makes great plays, but I also don't want the Astros to win. So I'm like in this weird between a rock and a hard place here. I don't know what to do. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go put water in Buck Nasty's mama's dish. <laughs> that is it for the player haters ball this week. We want to thank all of our listeners. You guys are awesome. And of course, our callers, anyone else listening, if you want to get in on the fun, leave a voicemail, have some nice back and forth with John and I, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call, 631-820-7377. You can also find us on Twitter, at BreakBallsPod. And we want to thank our amazing producer and engineer, DJ Bingington. You can find him on Twitter as well, at DJ B-I-N-G-I-N-G-T-O-N. And we'll catch you guys next week. Misdemeanor on the floor, pretty boy, here I come. Pumps in the bump, make you want to hurt something. I can take your man, I don't have to set something. Hang him out the window for